Chapter 7 What had really happened was this. When Arvor saw Shasta hurried away by the Narnians and found herself alone with two horses who, very wisely, wouldn't say a word, she never lost her head even for a moment. She grabbed Bree's halter and stood still, holding both the horses. And though her heart was beating as hard as a hammer, she did nothing to show it. As soon as the Narnian lords had passed, she tried to move on again. But before she could take a step, another crier, bother, all those people, Arvis thought, was shouting, was her shouting, way, 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 way for the Tarkina Lazlarim. And immediately following the crier came four armed slaves, and then four bearers carrying a litter, which was all a flutter with silken, silken curtains and an and all a jingle with silver bells, in which scented the whole street with perfumes and flowers. After the litter, female slaves in beautiful clothes, and then a few grooms, runners, pages, and the like. And now Arvaris made her first mistake. She knew Lassalarine quite well, almost as if they had been at school together, because they had often stayed in the same houses and been to the same parties. Iris couldn't help looking up to see what Lazlarine looked like now that she was married and a very great person indeed. It was a fatal mistake. The eyes of the two girls met. Immediately, Lazlarine sat up in litter and burst out the top of her voice. Arvaris, what on earth are you doing here? Your father? There was not a moment to lose. Without a second's delay, Iris let go the horses. Caught the edge of the litter, swung herself up beside Lazlarine and whispered fiercely, furiously in her ear, Shut up! Do you hear? Shut up! You must hide me! Tell your people! But darling, Lazlarine began in the same loud voice. She didn't in the least mind making people stare. In fact, she rather liked it. Do what I tell you or I'll never speak to you again, I resist. Please, please be quick, Lass. It's frightfully important. Tell your people to bring those two horses along. Pull all the curtains of the litter and get away somewhere where I can't be found. And do hurry. All right, darling, Lazlarine said in her lazy voice. Here, two of you take the Tarquina's horses. This was to the slaves. And now home. I say, darling, do you think we really want the curtains drawn on a day like this? I mean to say... But Arvaris had already drawn the curtains, enclosing Lazlarine and herself in a rich and scented but rather stuffy kind of a tent. I mustn't be seen, she said. My father doesn't know I'm here. I'm running away. My dear, how perfectly thrilling, said Lazlarine. I'm dying to hear all about it. Darling, you're sitting on my dress. Do you mind? Oh, that's better. This is a new one. Do you like it? I got it at... Oh, last, do be serious, said Avarice. Where's my father? Didn't you know? said Lazarine. He's here, of course. He came to town yesterday and is asking about you everywhere. And to think of you and me being here together and his not knowing anything about it? It's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And she went off into giggles. She always had been a terrible giggler, as Iris now remembered. It isn't funny at all, she said. It's dreadfully serious. Why can you hide me? Oh, no difficulty at all, my dear girl, said Lazarine. I'll take you home. My husband's away, and no one will see you. Phew! It's not much fun with those curtain drawings. curtains drawn. I want to see people. There's no point in having a new dress if no, on if no one's going to 
It's going to go about shut up like this. I hope no one heard you when you shouted out to me like that, said Arbus. Oh, no, no, of course, darling, said Lazarin absentmindedly. But you haven't even told me yet what you think of the dress. Another thing, said Arbus. You must tell your people to treat those two horses very respectfully. That's part of the secret. They are really talking horses from Narnia. Fancy, said Lazarine. How exciting. And, of course, darling, you have seen the barbarian queen from Narnia. She's staying in Tashban at present. They say Prince Rabadash is madly in love with her. There have been the most wonderful parties and hunts and things all this last fortnight. I can't see that she's so very pretty myself, but some of the Narnian men are lovely. I was taken out on a roof party the day before yesterday, and I was wearing my... How shall we prevent your people telling everyone that you've got a visitor dressed like a beggar's brat in your house? I might so easily get round to my father. Now, don't keep fussing, there's a dear, said Lazarine. We'll get you some proper clothes in a minute, and here we are. The bears had stopped and the litter was being lowered. When the curtain had been drawn, Arvis found that she was in a courtyard garden, very much like the one that Shasta had been taken into a few minutes earlier in another part of the city. Lazarine had would have gone indoors at once, but Arvis reminded her in a frantic whisper to say something to the slaves about not telling anyone of their mistress's strange visitor. Sorry, darling, it had gone right out of my head, said Lazarine. Here, all of you, all of you, doorkeeper, no one is to be let out of this house today, and anyone I catch talking about this young lady will be the first beaten to death and then burned alive, and after that, be kept on bread and water for six weeks. There. Although Lazarine had said she was dying to hear Arvis' story, she saw no, showed no sign of really wanting to hear it at all. She was, in fact, much better at talking than at listening. She insisted on Iris having a long and luxurious bath, coloring baths are famous, and then dressing up her up in the finest clothes before she would let her ex- explain anything. The fuss she made about choosing the dresses nearly drove Iris mad. She remembered how Lazlar had always been like that, interested in clothes and parties and gossip. Iris had always been more interested in bows and arrows, horses, dogs, and swimming. You'll guess that each thought the other rather silly, but when at last they were both seated after a meal, it was chiefly of the whipped cream and jelly and fruit and nice sort of things, in a beautiful pillared room, which Arvis would have liked better if Lazarine's spoiled pet monkey had been climbing about it all the time. Lazarine, at last, asked her why she was running away from home. When Arvis had finished telling her story, Lazarine said, But darling, why don't you want to marry Ashkatala Tarkan. Everyone's crazy about him. My husband says he's the beginning. He is beginning to be one of the greatest men in Calmarin. He is just he has just been made Grand Vizier. Now old Axlara has died. Don't didn't you know? I don't care. I can't stand the sight of him, said Arvis. But darling, only think three palaces and one of them that beautiful one down at the lake by Elkin positively ropes of pearls untold baths of ass's milk and you've been and you'd see such a lot of me he can't keep his pearls and palaces as far as he can keep his palaces and pearls as far as i'm concerned said iris you always were a queer girl iris said lesering what more do you want 
In the end, however, Iris managed to make her friend believe that she was in earnest and even to discuss plans. There would be no difficulty now about getting the two horses out of the north gate and then on to the tombs. No one would stop or question a groom in fine clothing leading a war horse and a lady's saddle horse down to the river, and Lars Lorraine had plenty of grooms to send. It wasn't so easy to decide what to do about Arvaris herself. She suggested that she could be carried out in a litter with the curtains drawn. But Lazarine told her that litters were only used in the city, and the sight of one going out through the gate would be certain to lead to questions. When they had talked for a long time, and it was all the longer because Arvis found it hard to keep her friend to the point, at last Lazarine clapped her hands and said, Oh, I have an idea. There is one way of getting out of the city without using the gates. The Tisrock's Garden, may he live forever, runs right down to the water, and there is a little water door. Only for the palace people, of course. But then, you know, dear, here she tittered a little. We almost are palace people. I say, it is lucky for you that you came to me. That here, the dear Tisrock, may he live forever, is so kind. We're asked to the palace almost every day, and it's like a, it's like a second home. I love all the dear princes and princesses, and I positively adore Prince Rabadash. I might run in and see if any of the palace ladies at any hour of day or night. Why shouldn't I slip in with you after dark and let you up by the water door? There are always a few punts and things tied up outside it, and even if we were caught... All we would, all would be lost at Arvis. Oh, darling, don't get so excited, Lazarine. I was going to say, even if we were caught, everyone would only say it was one of my mad jokes. I'm getting quite well known for them. Only the other day, oh, do listen, dear, this is frightfully funny. I meant to say, all would be lost for me, said Arvis, a little sharply. Oh, ah, <laughs> yes, I do see what you mean, darling. Well, can you think of any other plan or a better one? Harvest couldn't, and she answered, no. We'll have to risk it. When can we start? Oh, not tonight, said Lazarine. Of course not tonight. There's a great feast on. I must start getting my hair done for it in a few minutes, and the whole palace will be a blaze of lights. And such a crowd, too. It would it would have to be tomorrow night. This was bad news for Arvis, but she had to make the best of it. The afternoon passed very slowly, and it was a relief when Lazarine went out to the banquet. Iris was very tired of her giggling and her talk about dresses and parties and weddings, engagements and sandals and such. She went to bed early, and that part she did enjoy. It was so nice to have pillows and sheets again. But the next day passed very slowly. Lazarine wanted to go back on the whole arrangement and kept on telling Iris that Narnia was a country of perpetual snow and ice inhabited by demons and sorcerers, and that she was mad to think of even going there. And what a peasant and what a peasant boy too, said Lazarine. Darling, think of it. It's not nice. Arvis had thought of it a good deal, but she was so tired of Lazarine's silliness by now that for the first time she began to think that travelling with, with Shasta was really rather more fun than fashion than the fashionable life in Tashman. So she only replied, You forget that I'll be nobody just like him when we get to Narnia. And anyway, I promised. And to think, said Lazarine, almost crying, that if only you had sense, you could be the wife of the Grand Vizier. Iris went away to have a private word with the horses. 
You must go with the groom a little before sunset down to the tombs, she said. No more of those packs. You'll be saddled and bridled again, but there you'll you'll have to be food in twin saddlebags and a full water skin behind Jorisbury. The man has orders to let you both have a good long drink at the far side of the bridge. And then north to Narnia, said whispered Bree, and one of Sasha's not at the tombs. Wait for him, of course, said Arvis. I hope you've been quite comfortable, though. Never better stable than my life, said Bree. And if the husband of that teetering Tarkina friend of yours is paying his head groom to get the best oats, then I think the head groom is cheating him. Harvest and Lacerine had supper in the pillared room. About two hours later, they were ready to start. Harvest dressed to look like a superior slave girl in a great house and wore a veil over her face. They had agreed that if any questions were asked, Lark Lazlarina would pretend that Arvis was a slave she was taking as a present to one of the princesses. The two girls went out on foot. A very few minutes brought them to the palace gates. Here there were, of course, soldiers on guard, but the officer knew Lazlarina quite well and called his men to attention and saluted. They passed at once into the Hall of Black Marble. A fair number of courtiers, slaves, and others were still moving about here, but this only made the two girls less conspicuous. They passed on into the Hall of Pillars, and then into the Hall of Statues, and down the colonnade, passing the great beaten copper doors of the throne room. It was all magnificent beyond description, what they could see of it in the dim light of the lamps, that is. Presently, they came out into the garden court, which sloped downhill in a number of terraces. On the far side of that, they came to the old palace. It had already grown almost quite dark, and they now found themselves in a maze of corridors lit only by occasional torches fixed in brackets on the wall. Lazlarine halted in a place where you had to go either left or right. Go on. Do go on, whispered Iris, whose heart was beating terribly, and who still felt that her father might run into them at any corner. I'm just wondering, said Lasslerine. I'm not absolutely sure which way we go from here. I think it's the left. Yes, I'm almost sure it's left. Oh, what fun this is. They, shook the le- they took the left hand way and found themselves in a passage that was hardly lighted at all, and which soon began going down steps. It's all right, said Lasslerine. I'm sure we're right now. I remembered these steps. But at the moment, a moving light appeared ahead. A second later, there appeared from around a distant corner the dark shapes of two men walking backwards and carrying tall candles. And of course, it's only before royalty that people walk backwards. Harvest felt Lazarin grip her arm, that sort of sudden grip, which is almost a pension, which means that the person who's gripping you is very frightened indeed. Arvis thought it odd that Lazlarine should be so afraid of the Tisrock if he were really such a friend of hers. But there was no time to go on thinking. Lazlarine was hurrying her back to the top of the steps, on tiptoes, and groping wildly along the wall. Here's the door, she whispered. Quick! They went in, drew the door softly behind them, and found themselves in pitch darkness. Arvis could hear by Lazlarine's breathing that she was terrified. Dash, preserve us, whispered Lazlarine. What shall we do if he comes in here? Can we hide? There was a soft carpet under their feet. They groped forward into the room and blundered onto a sofa. Let's lie down behind it, whispered Lazarine. Oh, I do wish we hadn't come. There was just enough room between the sofa and the curtained wall, and the two girls got down. 
Last, Lorraine managed to get the better position and was completely covered. The upper part of Iris's face stuck out behind the sofa, so that if anyone came into the room with a light and happened to look at exactly the right place, they would see her. But of course, because she was wearing a veil, what they would see would not at once look like a forehead and hair and up. Well, they would not. But of course, because she was wearing a veil, what they saw would not at once look like a forehead and a pair of eyes. Iris shoved desperately to try to make Lazlarine give her a little more room. But Lazlarine, now quite selfish in her panic, fought back and pinched her feet. They gave it up and lay still, panting a little. Their own breath seemed dreadfully noisy, but there was no other noise in the room. Is it safe? said Iris at last in the tiniest possible whisper. I, I think so, began Lazlarine. But my poor nerves. Then came the most terrible noise they could have heard in that moment. The noise of the door opening. And then came light. Because Iris couldn't get her head any further behind the sofa, she saw everything. First came the two slaves, deaf and dumb, as Iris rightly guessed, and therefore used to the most secret counsels, walking backwards and carrying the candles. They took up their stand, one at each end of the sofa. This was a good thing, for of course it was now harder for anyone to see Arvis's face once the slave was in front of her and she was looking between his heels. Then came an old man, very fat, wearing a curious pointed cap by which she immediately knew that he was the Tisrock. The least of the jewels with which he was covered was, with was worth more than all the clothes and weapons of the Narnian lords put together. But he was so fat and such such a mass of frills and pleats and baubles and buttons and tassels and talismans that Iris couldn't help thinking the Narnian fashions, at any rate for men, looked much nicer. After him came a tall young man with a feathered and jeweled turban on his head and an ivory-sheathed scuspender on his side. He seemed very excited and his eyes and teeth flashed fiercely in the candlelight. Last of all came a little humpbacked weasened old man in whom she recognized with a shudder the new grand vizier and her own betrothed husband Ashtarkan himself as soon as all three had entered the room and the door was shut the Tizrak himself seated himself on the divan with a sigh of contentment the young man took his place standing before him and the grand vizier got down on his knees and elbows and laid his face flat on the carpet chapter 8 Oh, my father, and oh, the delight of my eyes, began the young man, muttering the words very quickly and sulkily, and not at all as if the Tezrak were the delight of his eyes. May you live forever, but you have utterly destroyed me. If you have given me the swiftest of the galleys at the sunrise, when I first saw the ship of the accursed barbarians was gone from her place, I would have perhaps have overtaken them. But you persuaded me to send first, and see if they had not merely moved round the point into better anchorage. And now the whole day has been wasted. And they are gone, gone out of my reach. The false jade, the... And here he had a great many descriptions of Queen Susan, which would not look at all nice in print. For, of course, this young man was Prince Rabadash, and, of course, the false jade was Susan of Narnia. Compose yourself, O oh my son, said the Tisrock. For the departure of guests makes a wound that is easily healed in the heart of a judicious host. But I want her, cried the prince. I must have her. I shall die if I do not get her. False, proud, black-hearted daughter of a dog she is. I cannot sleep, and my food has no savor, and my eyes are darkened because of her beauty. I must have the barbarian queen. 
how well it is said by the gifted poet, observed the vizier, raising his face in a somewhat dusty condition from the carpet, that deep draughts from the fountain of reason are desirable in order to extinguish the fire of youthful love. This seemed to exasperate the prince. Dog, he shouted, directing a series of well-aimed kicks at the hindquarters of the vizier. Do not dare to quote the poets to me. I have had maxims and verses flung at me all day, and I can endure them no more. I'm afraid Iris did not feel at all sorry for the vizier at this point. Tisrock was apparently sunk in thought, but when after a long pause he noticed what was happening, he said tranquilly, My son, by all means, desist from kicking the venerable and enlightened vizier. For as a costly jewel retains its value, even if hidden in a dunghill, so old age and discretion are to be respected, even if the vile persons of our subjects. Detest, therefore, and tell us what you desire and propose. I desire and propose, oh my father, said Ravadash, that you immediately call out your invincible armies, invade the thrice-cursed land of Narnia, and waste it with fire and sword, and add to their in Lamentable empire, killing their high king and all of his blood except the queen Susan, for I must have her as my wife, though she shall learn a sharp lesson first. Understand, O oh my son, said the Tesserach, that no words you can speak will move me to open war against Narnia. If you were not my father, O oh ever-living Tesserach, said the prince, grinding his teeth, I should say that it was the word of a coward. And if you were not my son, almost inflammable Rabidash, replied his father, your life would be short and your death slow when you had said it. The cool, placid voice in which she spoke those words made Avarice's cold blood run cold. But why, oh my father, said the prince, this time in much more respectable, respectful voice, why should we think twice about punishing Narnia any more than about hanging an idle slave or sending a worn-out horse to be made dog's meat? It is not the fourth size, not the fourth size of one of our promises. A thousand spirits could conquer it in five weeks. It is an unseemly blot on the skirts of your empire. Most undoubtedly, said the Tesserach, those little barbarian countries that call themselves free which is as much as to say idle, disordered, and unprofitable, are hateful to the gods and to all persons of discernment. Then why shall we have suffered such a land as Narnia to remain thus long unsubdued? No, O enlightened prince, said the Grand Vizier, that until the year in which your exalted father began his solitary and unending reign, the land of Narnia was covered with ice and snow, and was moreover ruled by the most powerful enchantress. This I know very well, O loquacious vizier, answered the prince. But I know also that the enchantress is dead, and the ice and snow have vanished so that Narnia is not wholesome, fruitful, and delicious. And this change, O most learned prince, has doubtless been brought to pass by the powerful incantations of those wicked persons who now call themselves kings and queens of Narnia. I am rather of the opinion, said Rabadash, that it has come about by the alterations of the stars and the operation of natural causes. All this, said the Tesserach, is a question for the disputations of learned men. I will never believe that so great an alteration and the killing of the old enchantress were effected without the aid of strong magic. And such things are not to be are to be expected in that land, which is chiefly inhabited by demons in the shapes of beasts that talk like men, and monsters that are half man and half beast. 
It is commonly reported that the High King of Narnia, who may the gods utterly reject, is supported by a demon of hideous aspect and irresistible malefice who appears in the shape of a lion. Therefore, the attacking of Narnia is a dark and doubtful enterprise, and I am determined not to put my hand out farther than I can draw back. How blessed is Calamarin, said the vizier, popping his face up again, on whose ruler the gods have been pleased to bestow prudence and circumspection. Yet, as the irrefutable and sapient Tisrock has said, it is very grievous to be constrained to keep our hands off such a dainty fish as Narnia. Gifted was the poet who said, but at that point Ashtar noticed an impatient movement of the prince's toe and became suddenly silent. It is very gracious, said the Tezrock in his deep, quiet voice. Ev- it is very grievous, said the Tezrock in his deep, quiet voice. Every morning the sun is darkened in my eyes, and every night my sleep is less refreshing because I remember that Narnia is still free. Oh, my father, said Rabadesh, how have I show you a way by which you can stretch your arm to take Narnia, and yet draw it back unharmed if the attempt proved unfortunate. If you can show me that, Rabadash, said the Tezrak, you will be the best of sons. Here then, O oh father, this very night and in this hour I will take but two hundred horses and ride across the desert, and it shall seem to all men that you know nothing of my going. On the second morning I shall be at the gates of the king of King Loon's castle of Arbor Anvard in Archenland. They are at peace with us and unprepared, and I shall take Anvard before they have to stir themselves. Then I will ride through the pass above Arnvel and down through Narnia to Caraparavel. The High King will not be there. When I left them, he was already preparing a raid against the giants to his northern border. I shall find Caraparavel most likely with open gates and ride in. I shall exercise prudence and courtesy and spill as little Narnian blood as I can. And what then remains but to sit there till Splendor Helim pulls in with Queen Susan on board? Catch my strayed bird as she sets foot ashore, swing her into the saddle, and then ride, ride, ride back to Envard. But it is not probable, O oh my son, said the Tisrock, that at the taking of the woman, either King Edmund or you will lose his life. Then we'll be, they will be small company, said Rabadash, and I will order ten of my men to disarm and bind him, restraining my venomous desire for his blood so that there shall be no deadly cause of war between, him, between you and the High King. And how, if this... Lender Hylian is at Caraparavel before you. I did not look for that with these winds, O oh my father. And lastly, O oh my resourceful son, said the Tisrock, you have made clear how all this might give you the barbarian woman, but not how it helps me with the overthrowing of Narnia. Oh my father, can it have it escaped you that though I and my horsemen will come and go through Narnia like an arrow from a bow, yet we shall have Arn unvarred forever? And when you hold Anvar, you sit in the very gate of Narnia, and your garrison in Anvar will be increased by little and little till it is a great host. And is spoken with understanding and foresight, but how do I draw back my arm if all this miscarries? You shall say that I did it without your knowledge and against your will and without your blessing, being constrained by the violence of my love and the impetuosity of youth. And how if the High King then demands that we send back the barbarian woman, his sister? Oh, my father, be assured that he will not. For though the fancy of a woman was rejected, 
has rejected this marriage. The High King Peter is a man of prudence and understanding who will in no way wish to lose the high honor and advantage of being allowed to our house and seeing his nephew and grandnephew on the throne of Calamarin. He will not see that if I live forever, as is no doubt your wish, said the Tisrock in an even drier voice than usual. And also, O oh my father, and oh the delight of my eyes, said the prince, after a moment of awkward silence, we shall write letters as if from the queen to say that she loves me and has no desire to return to Narnia, for it is well known that women are as changeable as weathercocks. And even if they do not wholly believe the letters, they will not dare to come to Tashban at arms to fetch her. Oh, enlightened vizier, said the Tizrak, bestow your wisdom upon us, un us concerning this strange proposal. Oh, eternal Tizrak, answered Ashtosh, the strength of paternal affection is not unknown to me. And I have heard, often heard the son, that sons are in the eyes of their fathers more precious than carbuncles. How then shall I dare freely to unfold to you my mind in the matter, which may imperil the life of this exalted prince? Undoubtedly you will dare, replied the Tisrock, because you will find that the dangers of not doing so are at least equally great. To hear is to obey, moaned the wretched man. Know then, O most reasonable Tisrock, in the first in the first place, that the danger of the prince is not altogether so great as might appear. For the gods have withheld from the barbarians the light of discretion, as that their poetry is not like ours, full of choice, apophagms, and full useful maxims. But it is all of love and war, therefore nothing will appear to them more noble and admirable than such a mad enterprise as this of ow, for the prince at that the word mad had kicked him. Desist, my son, said Tisrock. And you, estimable vizier, whether he detests or not, desists or not, by no means allow the flow of your eloquence to be interrupted. For nothing is more suitable in person to persons of gravity and decorum than to endure minor inconveniences with consistency. Here is to obey, said the vizier, wriggling himself round a little so as not so as to get his hinder parts farther away from Rashbot's toe. Nothing I say will seem as pardonable, if not estimable, estimable in their eyes as this er, hazardous attempt, especially because it is undertaken for the love of a woman. Therefore, if the prince, by misfortune, fell into their hands, they would assuredly not kill him. Nay, it may even be that, though he failed to carry off the queen, yet the sight of his great valor and of the extremity of his passions might incline her heart to him. This is a very good point, old babbler, said Rabidash. Very good, however, it came into your ugly head. The praise of my masters is the light of my eyes, said Ashtah. And secondly, O Tisrock, whose reign must and shall be interminable, I think that with the aid of the gods it is very likely that Anvard will fall into the prince's hands. And if so, we have Narnia by the throat. There was a long pause, and the room became so silent that the two girls hardly dared to breathe. The last the Tisrock spoke. Go, my sons, he said, and do as you have said, but expect no help or countenance from me. I will not avenge you if you are killed, and I will not deliver you if the barbarians cast you into prison. And if, either by success or failure, you shed a drop more than you need of Narnian noble blood, and open war rises from it, my favor shall never fall upon you again, and your next brother shall have your place in Calmarin. Now go, be 
be swift, secret, and fortunate. May the strength of the Tash, the inexorable, the irresistible, be it your sword and lance. To hear is to obey, cried Rabadash, and after kneeling for a moment to kiss his father's hands, he rushed from the room. Greatly to be disappointed, greatly to the disappointment of Arabus, who was now horribly cramped, the Tizarak and the Vizier remained. O oh, Vizier, said the Tizarak, is it certain that no living soul knows of this council we three have held here tonight? Oh, my master, said Ashta, it is not possible that any should know. For that very reason, I propose, and you and your infallible wisdom agreed, that we should meet here in the old palace, where no council is ever held, and none of the household has any occasion to come. It is well, said the Tezrak. If any man knew, I would see to it that he died before an hour had passed. And you do also, Prince Vizier, forget it. I swung away from my own heart and from yours all knowledge of the prince's plans. He has gone without my knowledge or my consent. I know not whither because of his violence and the rash and disobedient disposition of youth. No man will be more astonished than you and I to hear that Anvard is in his hands. To hear is to obey, said Ashta. This is why you will never think, even in your secret heart, that I am the hardest-hearted of fathers, who thus sent my firstborn son on an errand so likely to be his death. Pleasing as it must be for you, who do not love the prince, for I see into the bottom of your mind. O oh, impeccable Tisrax of the vizier, in comparison with you I have neither the prince nor my own life, nor bread nor water nor the light of the sun. Your sentiments, said the Tezrak, are elevated and correct. I also love none of those things in comparison with the glory and strength of my throne. If the prince succeeds, we have Archenland, and perhaps hereafter Narnia. If he fails, I have eighteen other sons in Rabbit Dash after the man of the eldest sons of kings was beginning to be dangerous. More than five Tezraks and Tashmen have died before their time because their eldest sons, enlightened princes, grew tired of waiting for their throne. He had better cool his blood abroad than boil it in an action here. And now, oh excellent vizier, the excess of my paternal anxiety inclines me to sleep. Command the musicians to my chamber, but before you lie down, call back the pardon we wrote for the third cook. I feel within me the manifest prognostics of indigestion. To hear so obey, said the grand vizier. He crawled backwards on all fours to the door, rose, bowed, and went out. Even then, Tezrak remained seated in silence on the divan till Arvis almost began to be afraid that he had dropped to sleep. But at last, with a great creaking and sighing, he heaved up his enormous body, signed for the slaves to precede him with the lights, and went out. The door closed behind him. The room was once more totally dark, and the two girls could breathe freely again. <laughs>